This is On the Environment, the podcast from the Yale Center for Environmental Law and Policy. My name is Liz Borgay. And I'm Alex Kashdan. And we're master's students at the Yale School of Forestry and Environmental Studies. This past December, hundreds of nations, NGOs, journalists, and other stakeholders gathered in Katowice, Poland, for COP24, the United Nations Climate Change Conference. Today, we're excited to welcome two students from FES that attended the conference, Camila Rodriguez-Taylor and Tobias Deros. At COP24, Camila and Tobias were both members of country delegations. Camila worked with Tonga, and Tobias worked with Brazil. We'll chat with them about their experience at COP and what it was like to be a part of a country delegation. Camila and Tobias, Welcome. Hi. Hi. Thank, thank you, for you for having us. Yep. Thank you for having us. Uh, so the first question is, what does it mean exactly to be on a country delegation at COP? So to me, what that means is that I'm actually, you know, part of that delegation and I'm with their best interest in mind. Um, particularly with working with Brazil, I had my particular responsibilities during the COP that, that took priority over everything. Um, throughout the, the conference, there's gazillion different activities going on. There's side speaker events. There's keynote speakers. Um, and then there's the actual negotiations on what the text for this this conference is trying to um, put out. And being part of the country delegation, you have access to that those negotiations. Um, some of those were open to the public and observers could attend. But towards the, the end, towards more intense negotiations, they ended up closing it to the observers and only allowing the country delegates to to be in those negotiations, and I was able to be part of that. Yeah, something I, I might add on to that is that each delegation is very different and is comprised by different types of professionals. So, for example, last year or the day the year before during COP23, I collaborated with the Argentine delegation and it was comprised mainly by public servants from the Ministry of Environment and the Ministry of Public Affairs, whereas this year when I was in COP24 as part of the Tongan delegation, their delegation was um, much smaller and it just had three public servants that were from the Ministry of Environment. And then they had called three UN fellows that were currently in New York um, conducting a, a program on biodiversity and they called them to participate in the UN delegation. And they also had volunteers from two NGOs and and us from Yale. We were three students each week from Yale. So so I think it, uh, each delegation is different. They have different capacities and some delegations are more vocal than others. And usually delegations share positions with other parties, with other countries. And so they form coalitions. So, for example, Tonga was part of the EOSIS coalition, which is an alliance of small island states. And so basically they define who's going to follow each topic. And in the case of Tonga, um, we were told that Tonga was going to have a silent delegation. This mean this meant that there was no representative of Tonga that was leading any of the specific discussions, even though they were participating in all the meetings. Great. Um, so how did you come to get a place on a country delegation and how did you engage with your delegation? Uh, Camila, maybe you can start. 
Yes. So it was it was kind of funny. Actually, it was um, a bit of chance. A classmate of mine, Courtney Durham, she conducted a summer internship in Fiji. And there she met Mr. Sion Fuliavi. He's the senior climate finance officer for for Tonga. And they hit it on. They had a good relationship. And once once uh, Courtney was back at Yale, she reached out to him and asked him if he would be interested in, in having volunteers from the School of Forestry and Environmental Studies at COP24. And he said yes. And after that, um, six students from Yale collaborated with Tonga, three in the first week and another three in the second week. Um, and for myself, it was more of a cold email out to a representative from the Brazilian delegation. I found his name on the UNFCCC website as a representative for Brazil uh, and just sent him a kind of a cold email and told him that I was a student here at Yale uh, with some interest uh, in environmental policy. I mentioned some of the classes that I was was taking and that I was interested in volunteering and helping out uh, the Brazilian delegation with any uh, any way that I could. Um, and then we set up a few phone calls and discussed my interest and where it would fit in best with what uh, the Brazilian delegation needed for uh, the COP. And, and then it worked out from there. Were there any specific topics either of you guys focused on? Sure. Um, I had two main topics that the Brazilian delegation wanted me to follow. Uh, the first was the multilateral assessment and review process, uh, which is the the process where the countries are reporting on their uh, every two years on their uh, goals and how close they are to achieving those goals and their progress on achieving those goals. Um, they wanted me to follow that process as well as the response measures negotiations. Uh, and the response measures uh, was the part of the um, the Paris Agreement where they discuss the effects that action on uh, climate change will affect countries in positively and negatively. Uh, and how their economies would change due to those measures. In my case, um, I was following finance, and finance is a, a very broad topic that had many different meetings. So there were conversations around what are we going to do with the adaptation fund? Is it going to serve the Paris Agreement or not? And how is it going to do so? Then um, finance was also related to Article 6, which is on market mechanisms. So there were separate meetings that were discussing particularly Article 6, if we were going to have a market mechanism or not. And then from there, that would feed into finance that could come from the the Article 6 into, for example, adaptation. So that was being discussed in another meeting. Um, I think in particular, this COP um, had lots of topics that were cross-cutting and interrelated, and that made following the topics quite difficult. So we it, it was important for us to always keep each other updated on what was going on in the other conversations. And um, in particular, AOSIS has a a daily meeting, well, tw twice a day in the morning and in the evening. And so there, each one of the, of the leaders of each one of the topics would go over everything that had happened and how the discussion was progressing or not progressing. And, and so that was, that was an important piece of it. Um, can you discuss what each of your countries wanted out of the conference? Sure. Um, the main idea that 
at least uh, with the topic that Brazil wanted me to follow with the multilateral assessment uh, and my role there, um, some of the developed nations were presenting their their reports uh, this year at the COP, and Brazil wanted were, were particularly interested in what were their challenges that they were having. Uh, some of these developed nations had a quite more extensive team working on these reports. Um, but they're still seeing some challenges. And so Brazil, as a developing nation with a smaller um, team in in this process, uh, wanted to know what are some of these challenges that these developed nations had and what were the things that they've learned from some of the reports that they put out and how can Brazil take some of those lessons learned and not have to learn them themselves. Tobias, can you elaborate what were, what were the reports on? The, the biannual reports? Um, that are on a um, every two years they're reporting on what what their NDC goals were and how they're progressing towards those goals. What are the programs that they've implemented within each country, and how have each each of those programs um, helped them achieve or make progress to achieving their goals? Right, and now all the developing countries have to start committing. Right, BURs, the biannual reports. That's right, um, and. Brazil, for instance, has already uh, done two. I believe they're uh, reporting on their third, um, but there's still uh, the, some of the requirements that are for the developed nations um, are not necessarily requirements for the developing nations, and those I think were the this, the particular spots where the Brazil de delegation was interested in learning from. And just to clarify, the NDCs are the nationally just determined contributions um, that each country uh, came up with after the Paris Agreement to uh, describe their goals for lowering emissions. Right. Yeah. Well, the um, case of Tonga is quite particular. Uh, as I mentioned previously, Tonga is part of the EOSIS uh, group and EOSIS representing all small island developing states is really very concerned about the impacts that climate change is having in their countries and in their regions. Um, island states are the most vulnerable um, the, the most vulnerable countries to, to climate change, to sea level rise, to storms. Um, they are losing their their um, potable water because it's being uh, polluted by salt from the oceans. And so basically for EOSIS, the most important thing during COP was to increase the ambition um, to make an emphasis on that um, strong, robust mitigation is needed to stop the impacts of climate change progressing and that there should also be a very strong wording and commitment in the agreement, in the final agreement after the COP on adaptation, and loss and damage and finance for these um, vulnerable countries. And Camila, you were on Argentina's delegation last year. How did this year in Poland compare with last year's COP? So uh, for me, these were quite different experiences. Uh, COP23, as part of the Argentine delegation, was my first COP. So that was extremely exciting. And I had always wanted to be in a COP. And so it was it was very overwhelming because, um, as you might know, there are several venues. Each venue has uh, different 
activities going on. So you have a venue that has the, ne- the actual negotiations and the meetings uh, where the, the country badges are allowed. And then you have um, another venue that has the um, NGOs and you have activities and presentations and speeches and uh, all different types of activities. So I want it to be everywhere. And since it was the second week where when I was there, um, this is the week where you, the COP receives all the ministers and the high-level politicians. So in in the case of Argentina, Sergio Bergman, the Minister of Environment and Sustainable Development, um, was was in Bonn, and he was be, the Argentina was receiving the um, leadership of the G20 from Germany. So it was a very special moment for the Argentine delegation, and the minister was receiving a lot of attention and giving lots of presentations. So um, I was very involved in basically following him around and attending his uh, his presentations and helping out the delegations with um, the issues that they were following. And Argentina is also um, associated with Brazil and Uruguay and so the topics that Argentina was following were basic were were almost finished and they were wrapped up and the the topics that were still being discussed were led by Brazil and Uruguay so in that sense Argentina's in her, in its second week was um more concentrated on on the political aspect and COP24 I I attended the first week and so I was able to to follow the financial discussions from the beginning and this allowed me to to realize how frustrating sometimes the discussions can be because it's very difficult to see progress the first week. Every country or every party is kind of... Um, you know, when, when they play with a rope that they give a little bit, but then they take a little bit and everybody's trying to negotiate and to see until what time, like until what moment the other party will, will let go a little bit. So it was, it, it felt that nothing was happening sometimes. And and it was really also very interesting because it was fascinating to, to be able to provide support to a, a group such as IEOSIS that was very passionate about the um, the implications of the results of the agreement at COP. So that um, it, it felt very good to be able to um, collaborate in some way in for them. Do you have an interesting anecdote to share about your COP experience? Sure, I can start with that one. Um, one of the things that I found interesting was in attending some of these multilateral assessment review process um, while some of the countries were um, giving reports on their progress and some of them were achieving, some of them were surpassing, and then some others, um, particularly that came to mind was Germany, that wasn't going to quite reach their uh, 2020 goals that they needed to get to their 2030 goals. Um, but one of the things that – one of the positive things that I thought was very interesting was that uh, pretty much all the countries that reported were showing the – a disentanglement from the uh, emissions that each country has and their economy. So they were still showing economic growth while they're stagnating or reducing their emissions. So that was a really, really big positive, really interesting thing that I that I caught, you know, some some posit- positive um, hope, you know, looking into the future. Well, just uh, as an anecdote, uh, I think it's 
um, it could be interesting to to tell you a bit of what goes on in the meetings and how that environment is generated. So uh, during these meetings, you have you can have more than 50 people in a room and everybody's discussing. Um, things can get a little bit tense. There's a lot of formality and um, each speaker um, shows flags that they want uh, to speak and there's an order. But sometimes it, it becomes interesting when the co-chairs want to spice it up a bit or want to like uh, sweeten the, the dialogue. And um, sometimes they... They buy some presents and they hand out a particular present to a particular party or representative of a country that is either being stuck in a position or encouraging him or her to, um, yeah, to <laughs> be a little bit more flexible. Or um, sometimes they give it, a, they give them a present as a as a thank you for a pre- an appreciation for having. Um, had a good attitude in the in the discussion. So I've seen chocolate and alcohol being <laughs> uh, handed over. The alcohol was at the end of the meeting, I have to say. It was like at 12 p.m. Great. Um, and then just to sort of sum up, what did you learn from the experience? I'll go ahead and start with that one as well. Um, I think one of the main things that, that I learned, I think Camila was kind of hinting at was that how how difficult it is to uh, come to agreement on some of these texts. Um, you, you have so many different interests, so many different parties with different agendas that are looking for different things in these, in these texts. Um, and they have to come to a text that every single country agrees to. It has to be unanimous, you know, agreement that the, the text is, is the final thing that they can take forward. And all these countries are, you know, reporting back to their ministers and, and, it's it's a very complex problem. So it's it just highlighted how impressive it was that they were able to get the Paris Agreement a, a few years ago uh, together, and then how they're still making a lot of progress on you know continuing to define some of the text and some of the rules and regulations that are going to be uh, used moving forward. Um, it's quite quite interesting to, to learn that whole process and how wordsmithing is so important, and how picking the right word that you know means potentially different things to different people or can be influenced differently depending on who who is expressing that particular term and how important that that wordsmithing was. It's it's quite an art. Yeah, I completely agree. For me, um, one of the the greatest learning from this experience is the how important, like how challenging it is to overcome all these differences and reach a consensus or an understanding. And I think the role of the COP president is particularly important in this and being able to facilitate an environment where you can have fruitful dialogue and and have progress and actually push ambition forward. I think the COP president has a critical role. And in the case of the Paris Agreement, uh, this was very evident. And, and we have discussed in, in class and with um, experts that were at COP21, how important the role of France was. So um, in this case, I think it was also significant, maybe not as not in the same way, but definitely the presidency in Poland had a played a significant role in the outcomes of the agreement. 
Um, okay, so before we finish, um, we have a question that we usually like to ask all of our podcast guests. Um, is there a book, TV show, blog, or something else that you might recommend to our listeners? If you're interested in the IPCC report, and there was a the, the latest IPCC report talks about the impacts of climate change and has all these uh, new projections. Uh, it's a very dense document, so I would suggest the World Resources Institute summary. There is a blog that is called Eight Things You Need to Know About IPCC 1.5 Report, and I think that's a good way to start on that. Um, from my end, uh, I'm particularly interested in renewable energy uh, and that industry. And there's a podcast that I actually listen to um, on a weekly basis called The Energy Gang. Um, they they talk about current issues and current events in the renewable energy space uh, and maybe some trends that are going on in the industry and discuss a variety of different topics on the, on the renewable energy side. Um, I kind of listen to it religiously, and uh, I, if you're interested in energy, I think that's that's a great podcast to listen to. Yes, thank you so much for joining us, Tobias and Camila. Yes, thank you so much for, for talking to us today. So that does it for this week's episode. You can find out more about the Yale Center for Environmental Law and Policy at envirocenter.yale.edu. You can also follow us on Twitter at Yale Enviro.